Welcome to the Business Brew Podcast. Business Brew started as a simple idea, just coffee with a business expert. Business owners and entrepreneurs could gather around that expert and then ask questions and get answers in real time. The agenda and structure of Business Brew was designed to be simple and meant to inspire a natural conversation. It was an informal gathering created to support the small business ecosystem in the Spokane region. Typically, we met the morning of the first Thursday of each month at fellow co-working in downtown Spokane. But as you know, things aren't typical right now. In May of 2020, Business Brew, like many things, had to shift gears and we switched to an online format, meeting on Zoom and then broadcasting on Facebook Live. One of the silver linings was that each Business Brew has been recorded. This podcast is the result of that shift. On December 3rd, 2020, Mark Odegaard and Annie Wismiller joined Business Brew to talk about how to operate a purpose-driven business. Please note that Mark and Annie referenced some visual aids during the conversation. You can find the video version of this conversation on YouTube. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to give a big thanks to Mark and Annie from Measurement for joining us this morning. As normal, we'll go around and do introductions, although I have a feeling today might be one of those days that people join us as the morning progresses. Uh, So we'll just welcome those folks in as time goes on. Um, So that said, we'll start with a few introductions. And Dorothy, you're a non-guest. We'll let you go first. So just tell us uh, who you are, who you're with, and maybe what you're hoping to get out of the conversation this morning. Um, good morning. I'm Dorothy Zevenbergen and I'm with Cultivate Consulting and I'm out of here out of Seattle and uh, Seattle area, Limpiala. And uh, I'm just, I came here because I really enjoy learning how to pivot my business through all of this. So that's why I'm here. Excellent. Thank you so much. And then we'll just, Annie, we'll start with you. You can give us, um, you know, kind of the same thing, except for instead of what you hope to get out of this, uh, maybe uh, what you hope to add to this. (laughs) Oh, sure. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Annie. I uh, came to Spokane for uh, Gonzaga about five years ago. um, And I just really enjoy being part of this community here. still a little bit of an imposter, I feel like in Spokane, but um, I really, I really enjoy the people. And um, I went to school for environmental studies and economics and um, yeah, started working for measurement this summer. Um, so I guess today I just, I hope that this is useful for people and we can kind of set, set a context of, you know, what sustainability is going to look like in the future. and. Um, just really have sort of a, a future-oriented mindset while also considering the time we're in right now, um, the kind of the time of COVID, I guess, and thinking about how to be more resilient in the future. That's awesome. You don't have to feel like an imposter being in Spokane. Uh, I know there's a lot of like, I'm from here kind of stuff, but I'm from a small town north of here, and I didn't move there until I was 11. And my parents now have been there for over 25 years. Um, my youngest brother basically grew up there, went to school all 12 years there, and he's still not from there. So yeah. I think Spokane's a little bit more agreeable than that. 
Uh, okay, so before we get to you, Mark, a couple of people are joining us on Facebook. That's uh, Emily and Gretchen, good morning. And I just wanna give a quick reminder that you are welcome to ask questions, whether you're joining us on Facebook, you can use the comments there to ask us questions and participate in the conversation. You're also welcome to use chat. And if you really, really, really wanna ask your question live in person here on Zoom, just wave at me and be obnoxious and I will allow you to unmute yourself and ask Mark or Annie a question. So Mark, same thing, why don't you tell us who you are, we know who you're with at this point, and then maybe a little bit of what you hope to add to the conversation. Sure. Um, so after 25 years in the corporate world, 20 of those uh, approximately with the same company um, where I was doing, um, uh, I guess about 14 years of internal consulting, working with uh, different groups across the business, including our international operations, uh, helping align their strategy with their operational execution and some process improvement uh, using Lean. Uh, I decided that the work that my wife, uh, who started Measurement, the work she was doing was far more exciting than what I was doing. Uh, and the community she was involved with here in Spokane was definitely more engaged and enthusiastic about their work. So um, I decided to join her in this work um, and have really found a lot more um, uh, well, so far it's not as lucrative uh, financially, it's definitely more fulfilling um, being able to help people do the right thing and, and to live their values through their work. So um, very excited to be able to share some of that today. And I guess what I would like to add um, uh, or what value I'm hoping to deliver along with Annie is just to give everyone a, a sense of what purpose means and why it doesn't have to be expensive and in many cases why it doesn't actually have to cost anything it can actually improve the revenue generation so um, I think frequently this notion of purpose ends up uh, at least in my mind and people who I talk to it ends up seeming like this big overwhelming thing well I have to like go install solar panels on my business roof or something like that and it's that's not I mean, that's part of it if, if you want, um, and there's definitely benefits, but that's not what it, what it is necessarily or what it has to be. So anyway, just hoping to provide a little bit of clarity and then ideally get into some discussion because um, I mean, Annie's definitely you know, good to listen to, but I start to drone on and, and have a bit of a monotone voice. So the more people can chime in, the better. You're selling yourself short, my friend, but that's a great place to start. Why don't we jump in there? Uh, you mentioned this a little bit through what you have said, but I, my first question was obviously going to be, what does it mean to be purpose-driven? I guess I now know it means I don't need solar panels unless that that fits like my, uh, you know, my overall uh, objective here. But will you, uh, Annie or Mark, either of you can field this one. Give me that quick rundown on what it means to be purpose-driven. So what's the elevator pitch for doing that? And what does it mean? Go ahead, Annie. Uh, so we like to try to think about it very broadly. Um, considering all of your stakeholders as a business is a great place to start. Um, Purpose-driven doesn't mean, or sustainable doesn't mean just eco-friendly. So, you know, it's, it's treating your workers well. Um, it's being involved and engaged in the community and having that social responsibility. And then it's also considering, you know, the larger effects um, on the planet that you're having and then also how that um, affects your own business in turn. Um, so it's really this dynamic um, thing. So some people call it the triple bottom line. 
people, planet, and profit all all working together, and that's the that's the beauty of industry um, that you can really take a broader approach here. This is our nice little infographic. I like yeah, that. Sorry, I'm having a little trouble with my mute too. And just one other thing, um, in terms of a uh, like a mental model, maybe that. Um, as a way to think about this is that part of being purpose-driven or purpose-minded is to begin thinking about the world in a different way. So it used to be that the economy was the center of, of the world and everything else was viewed as resources to be exploited. And in the this changing idea of a purpose-driven business and a purpose-driven world, the environment really is the center of everything, even though you know, these circles are nested. So it looks like economy is the center. It's really everything lives within the environment and then everything subsequent lives within society. And so economy and business should come last essentially in terms of consideration. So as you're making decisions as a business, it shouldn't just be about your revenue generation or profitability. It should be about how did my decisions impact society and environment? And if it's going to have a negative impact, then should I be making that decision, even though it's going to make me money? Because as you start to degrade society and the environment, you're just degrading your ability to make money in the long term um, and to be a viable business. So that's just a little bit to add on to what Annie was saying, um, is it's really kind of shifting that thinking towards more of this view of the world. Okay, so I have so many questions and I'm already getting out of order. So let's... Uh, so great. I love the triple bottom line, people, planet, profit. So one of the questions I had, and this, the, the irony here is that I as I was kind of digging into the subject and making myself a little bit more familiar, I found this uh, great quote that uh, taking, uh, being purpose-driven means taking a stand for something bigger than your products or services. The irony is that that quote comes from Salesforce, which is like a giant in the CRM world. But Mark and Annie, my question is, it's twofold. One, how big is too big for a purpose? And, and is there even such a thing? But then also, what if my my purpose and, and my business's purpose has very little to do with the environment on the surface, right? Like if my goal in being purpose-driven isn't necessarily to have a negative impact on the environment, but my purpose doesn't involve the inner, the environment. Like what if I just want to build stronger communities? Does that make sense? So like how big is too big? And what if my, my vision, my company, my purpose have nothing to do with the environment at all? Yeah, those are great questions. <laughs> yeah, Mark, do you wanna, do you wanna start? Oh, sure, um, yeah, happy to. So, um, so in, in terms of Salesforce, just a little context and then I'll answer the, the real part of your questions is, so Salesforce is a giant company um, I would say, you know, depending on how in tune you are, my initial thought was, oh, Salesforce has just got to be another money grubbing company and they probably don't do anything good, but they actually donate, um, give their services away for free to nonprofits around the world. There's something like 27,000 nonprofits use their platform to track their donors. Um, and then that's the equivalent of something like a um, $100 billion a year of, uh, that's too much. Um, anyway, it's a lot of money. 
um, that they're that they're giving away in in kind donations, um, and that adds a lot of value. Um, at the same time, and there, I think it's Mark Benioff preaches the importance of, of purpose. And then at times he's been criticized for decisions he made, such as recording record quarterly profits and immediately laying off a thousand plus people within a week. Um, and so those can seem contradictory, but, but yeah, so purpose doesn't just have to be focused on the environment. It is like you said, Josh, focusing on solving problems or addressing needs. So that can be in the form of community engagement in a very broad sense, it can be in the form of, um, you know, attacking or tackling specific problems. Um, and it doesn't, even when it's focused on the environment, it doesn't have to be like solving all of climate change. It can just be, you know, being mindful of how you discharge water back into uh, the watershed. So if you're a water intensive industry, are you taking care to return the water in a condition that's equal to or better than you found it? Um, despite us having a well-run um, wastewater treatment plant, you know, it's, it's not always relying on somebody else to solve the problem. Um, so I guess as a short answer, that would be my short answer. And Annie, I'll, I'll just see if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, um, we have a few examples. So Mark builds these beautiful slide decks. Um, we have a couple examples specifically of how interrelated environmental and human issues are. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind is that it's a lot of the time it's not separate. Um, and, and then also, you know, on some level, we have these macro issues, um, both on the human side and environmental side and there I don't think there is a, a too big kind of considering the magnitude of a lot of the issues we face um, so I think any any progress is good progress um, you know large companies they have a lot of power to, to make a lot of good so um, yeah in some ways I don't I don't think there is a too big um, yeah yeah I don't yeah I definitely don't think a company can be too big to make a difference. Um, Patagonia is fairly large. They make a difference with everything that they're doing. Um, there's, I can't remember the name, but there's a, a non, essentially a nonprofit that employs 130,000 people around the world. Um, and, and they run as a for-profit business, pay all of their employees um, living wages or better um, and make products that all of us use um, and in the process of doing that, they're giving all of their money to you know, fair wages and to solving community problems. Um, so it doesn't have to, um, that can be at the center of what you do. And Annie was just saying uh, some of the examples and I'll, I'll just jump to this, even though it was, um, anyway, I'll, I'll just jump to this one really quick. So Grayston makes all of the brownies for Ben and Jerry's. They're the only provider <clears throat> and have been doing that since um, the very beginning. Uh, and Grayston started out as a way for a Buddhist monastery in New York City to make money uh, just as a cafe. And then they decided, um, I think when the rent was too high, they would move uh, to Yonkers. And in doing that, they moved into one of the poorest neighborhoods in Yonkers and um, moved into an old, I think, pasta making factory. 
uh, that was run down, they restored it, and they started hiring from the very beginning using a list. Um, so you came, you come, and they still do, you come and put your name on the list, and the person at the top of the list is offered a job when the next job opens up. No interviews, no background checks, nothing. You show up, you do your work, um, you get paid, and you continue to be employed. And um, through this, and by intentionally putting their operations in a poor neighborhood, their whole model was to um, help serve underserved communities by providing uh, well-paying um, jobs. And, and you can come in and have no idea how to do the job and they'll teach you. So it's this very, it's a open, it's called open hiring. And it's a great way to um, solve problems and provide community support. And it doesn't cost them anything. You know, it's actually probably costing them less because they're skipping all of the HR burdens of interviewing people and, and going through that. And open hiring isn't for everybody. Um, but Dave's Killer Bread is another great example of, I think it's close to, it's 30 or 40% or more of their employees are formerly incarcerated. Um, and it's exceedingly difficult for formerly incarcerated individuals to find jobs. And I think it's something like once you've been released, it takes over a year or more to find a job. Um, and so they're paying, offering you know, well-paying jobs to people who otherwise find it difficult to find job opportunities. So it's just those small things um, that can make a difference. And, and so again, that's an example of where it doesn't need to cost money, but you can actually make an outsized impact on people's lives. Okay, so uh, I got, we got, oh, sorry, Annie, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to add one more thing on this topic is that Grayson finds that their employees are extremely loyal. There's only a 12% uh, separation rate, where in this industry, it can get up to 70% of people are leaving each year and having to be interchanged. So that's a massive difference. And that's where you find of the savings in time and money, right? Um, just because they are such a loyal workforce and grateful to work and um Anyway, continue on, Josh. So I just wanted to, to double back because I think so much came out of that. And I think it's important to, to, I think, hit some of those milestones. So my question started with, you know, how big is too big of a, of a purpose? And the answer, and I, it was kind of a trap question. I just wanted to give you wings and let you fly with that. But the answer was, there is no such thing as too big. Correct. But during that, you said that, and, and I think this is, this is the, the reverse side of that, is how small is too small? And so, Mark, you touched on that because I'm a one person business, right? And Dorothy might be in the same boat and some of the other people watching may not have, you know, dozens of employees and their impact may be different. So, Mark, you saying it's not that you have to go out and solve all of climate change, I think is really powerful. But I think the, the second part of that is that as long as you're not having a negative impact, right, as long as your purpose isn't about you know, impacting your community or the environment negatively, I think you can feel good about having a purpose. And I think that's the, that's the double-edged sword of this uh, movement, um, whether you're talking about B Corps or just being purpose-driven, is that I think it has, the public has this tendency to go, well, if, I, if, I'm not, if I'm not doing this big thing of tackling all this stuff, I'm not doing enough, right? It's like, it's never, like the cup's never full, right? And I, and I want folks to feel and hear you, Mark and Annie, when you say like, that's not the case, right? Like we're not talking about that. Um, so that's good. I do want to point out, Emily on Facebook has said that Patagonia started a sub-brand of sorts called Warnwell, 
selling their own products in used condition. People can sell their own stuff, their old stuff back to Patagonia. Patagonia repairs it, effectively providing another option for folks at a discounted rate. So I think that fits into that mission as well. And I love the example of the bakery you give. So I, I do want to take a minute there, Mark, and I don't know um, how much you know, or Annie, this open hiring concept, I love it because it, it, like you said, Mark, it gets rid of some of that waste in human capital of HR and background checks and paying for all that. On the flip side, though, how does a company mitigate risk when you're just opening your doors to potentially anybody? And I love Annie saying that they have an extremely low churn rate of employees and they become really loyal. But if I was going to go out and hire somebody and I wanted to get into this, you know, put me at ease, help me feel good about this. What are the things that these companies have done in their onboarding process to mitigate risk, to maybe weed out people who aren't a good fit, fit? You know, tell me about that if you know anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the biggest local examples that we love is Boots, um, Boots Bakery and Lounge. Uh, so this is an example of Allison Collins, the, the founder and owner, um, implementing sort of the same open hiring ideals, um, but in her own way. Uh, so she doesn't do any resume collecting um, or, or background checks of any kind. Um, and she has also found the same sort of self-governing like uh, culture at Boots and, and people stay there for upwards of five years, um, which is rare sort of in that, in that industry as well, in the restaurant and food service industry. Um, so she's found, she's found great success with it. She likes to be a little bit creative in the uh, hiring process. So she said, I think well, one round they were trying to hire someone and um, she gave them the challenge to write a postcard to her. Um, and she found that the, the people that reused materials and you know, wrote on the back of some sort of you know, card they had already had, those types of people um, appealed to her because you know, she thought they were resourceful and creative and instead of someone who just went out and bought a postcard from the store, for example. So that was kind of one, one technique she used to just really you know, try to figure out someone's values in a very simple way that didn't have to do with you know, checking their history or or figuring out too much about um, about their experience level, I guess. Um, so that's a, that's just a, a great local example that uh, we yeah like to share. So uh, Ryan Arnold jumped in on Facebook and said, uh, "Grayston Bakery is such a great story on social impact through business." He did a large case study project uh, in his grad school pro program, Grayson. and he he said he's glad to see it being represented. Um, and I love Annie, that story. I, I'm all about like, how do you set yourself up of, apart from the pack? So doing these things where you, you kind of give that, it's a small barrier of entry, right? I just want you to write me a postcard, but there's so right. many opportunities within that to showcase, I, I would almost say who you are as a person more than who you are as a hiring candidate, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think that's, um, I think that's a great point is, um, and, and to kind of, I'll connect that and loop back to your uh, original question of how do you eliminate risk? I would say there's always risk in hiring people. Mm -hmm. I've hired a lot of people um, in my prior job and um, I've looked at resumes and gone through heaps of resumes and interviews and then hired people who I thought would be great. And some of them were, um, some of them ended up being awful and they weren't motivated. Um, they they had overrepresented their skills, 
I mean, some people who I thought were kind of marginal, um, but decided to hire them anyway, because somebody else was you know, wanting me to, ended up being, being the best. Um, and so I think regardless of how you hire, there's always risks. You always have to train people to work the way you want. And so like Annie's saying is, what's really more important is finding people who share your values. And what Grayston does is they want people who are willing to show up at work and they, they will teach them what they need to know. Um, and so their value is people who wanna work and will show up on time and do their best. And if you do that, you stay. And if you don't, then you know, they'll give you another chance and then you're on your way. Patagonia, uh, Yvonne Chouinard has said, um, he only likes to hire dirt bags. And by that, he means he only hires people who use their gear in the way that it was intended. And he says, I have no, essentially no interest in hiring an MBA um, from New York who's wearing a suit and tie and who's never spent a night in the woods because I can't teach them those values. But I can take a surfer or you know, an outdoors person and I can teach them how to be a business person. So he's leading and their company leads with their values. And that's what Allison is doing at Boots is she's leading with values and then empowering her employees to resolve problems. So no matter what you do in the hiring process, you are taking risk um, and having to manage it. Uh, and you know, when you do open hiring and say a knowledge field, you might not just have a list, um, but you know, one thing that we're doing right now is just focusing on cover letters for a part-time job we're trying to fill. Tell me, because the resume doesn't, it doesn't matter because we're trying to uh, focus on college students. The resume doesn't matter at this point. Just tell me why you're passionate about this opportunity. Um, in the case of Annie, we, we met Annie at a Spokane Indians um, event that we did for Be Learning Hour, got to know her, what she was doing. Um, my wife, Kara, interacted her, with her in, in some other ways. And we called her up and, over the summer and said, hey, do you want a job? And that was that. Like there was no interview, there was no <laughs> resume. Um, and Annie's uh, been the best employee. Um, and it, it's because we understood her values. Um, and uh, so anyway, I'm kind of rambling on, but that's, that's the way I think about it is it's always a risk and you, you mitigate it by engaging with people. And, in, and if they share your values and you're probably going to have less risk. I think, well, first off, uh, that's where I met Annie as well. It took me a minute yeah, to put that yeah. together, but that's where at the Indians baseball game. Yeah. Uh, but I think, Mark, here's what my takeaway from, from this is your business can be a bakery. You can be a coffee shop. Uh, you can be like uh, Grayson where you're, you're producing a, a good. And maybe the, the product itself doesn't at all touch on your impact, but your hiring process could be part of that fulfillment of your purpose. Exactly. Uh, because it does impact the community and it does impact yeah. people. And I think that that's another really good takeaway. It's like, I can go out and do marketing, which maybe doesn't have a huge impact uh, as long as I'm not, uh, you know, encouraging people to do unethical marketing, which you and I all talked about at Be Learning yeah. Hour, but right. I can do other things through my business that create a purpose-driven thing. So that takes me to my next question, which is if, how do I find my purpose? 
How does a business find its purpose? Um, I feel like Mark, you have a, a good amount of experience in taking businesses through this process. So sure. Yeah, yeah. So I can I can jump in or start. Keep my headphones in. Um, yeah. So I, I I don't. So there's there in my mind. There's never one path, and um, uh, it's and life is never a straight line. Um, it's always more of a river than it is a highway. Um, so how you get to your purpose is an evolution, unless you happen to, um, you just wake up one day and say, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. But you know, I think, Josh, you, you start with your faith as a core of your purpose and use that to help set some direction. Um, and so there are two ways. One is you say, what are my personal, particularly as a small business owner, as you get to be a larger company, you have more stakeholders. Um, and so then that kind of complicates things. But just thinking about it from a small business um, perspective, you know, let's say there are three ways. One is, as the owner, you say, what's important to me? And where do I want to make the biggest impact? And then I'm going to find a way to do that. So if it's giving access to good jobs, if it's paying a living wage, I mean, even that is on its own is having purpose. So you can pay people the minimum wage, um, but what do people really need to live? And that doesn't necessarily align with the topic of, of <laughs> you know, having purpose without being, it being expensive. But you know, what, is, what is the value of taking care of your employees and allowing them to live more comfortably and how does that then reduce your expense by um, reducing your separation or attrition rate, um, reducing having to retrain people? Um, and so that's one of the things I think that Allison does is she pays people well, um, uh, and, and that's part of why they stay. And that means that they can create these connections with their customers who keep coming in. Um, a second way is to engage your employees and say, all right, what's important to you? Where should we focus? Um, and, and what are our collective values? And a benefit of that is then you have this buy-in um, from everybody who's working for you um, and you're working towards a common, a common purpose. Um, and there's a lot of value in defining a common purpose. And then you use that to help um, guide all of the decisions you make. Uh, and there's lots of data around um, how value-driven companies um, and giving people, individuals opportunity to, to demonstrate their own values through their work um, leads to higher engagement and longer retention. Um, and so we can dive into that at some point if it's interesting. But I'll just say then the third way is aligning your value with the product or service that you deliver. So is an example, um, what the grain shed does is part of the value that they add um, and part of their purpose is they purchase um, land-raised heritage grains because they're uh, uh, better for the environment, they're more regenerative, um, help prevent soil erosion, um, require less pesticides, et cetera. 
Um, and so that's part of their purpose. They also are working with local farmers um, in, in their purchasing to build that sense of community. But then on the, the end of the product life, when they have uh, one or two day old bread, they take it across the street to the community center um, for them to distribute. And so they've connected, you know, instead of going out and supporting um, computer literacy or building ball fields or whatever, they're using their product to deliver that benefit. Um, Josh, I think you do that to some degree and, and you're providing education to um, about marketing, right? So uh, a bank trying to promote com um, computer literacy doesn't really make sense. But if they're out promoting financial literacy, then they're using their core skills in order to extend that value, if so, that makes sense. Yeah. So right there, I want to, so it, sometimes it feels like having a purpose can sometimes be self-serving. I think the bank is a perfect example I want to mm -hmm. hold on and dig into. So credit unions do this. I mean, they have people that they hire at their, a lot of them do these, like at their corporate offices. Uh, like a financial literacy, you know, engagement officer, community engagement officer who, who goes out into schools and into communities and teaches financial literacy. I mean, obviously the back end is if you're for more financially literate, then you might sign up for an account with that credit union or a bank. And I get that they, they might take this approach that it doesn't matter where you register for an account, all ships rise. But I, I just wonder, is it, should I feel okay about that is my question, right? Should I feel okay if my purpose just so happens to also align somewhat with, uh, you know, generating new business, right? Because I'll, you Mark, you pick on me, but I do free workshops to yeah. get in front of more people to generate new clients, right? Like it is completely self-serving. I don't mind at all giving away value because I know it benefits me in the long run. Right. Do you want to take a pass at that, Annie? Yeah, well, I don't know. It just makes me think about the, you know, the entire reason I'm in this field is selfish. You know, it's like very, so I can feel good about myself, whether or not I'm really doing good is, you know, up to you all to decide, I guess. But <laughs> I think, I think um, that's my, as long as you, you can kind of understand that and then go from there and realize how you can then you know, increase your impact and, and um, as long as it feels, it does feel like a genuine, a genuine purpose. I think that's, that's absolutely um, a part of the deal. Yeah. yeah. And I agree with Annie. I mean, to some, to some degree, everything we do is self-serving um, because it's either giving you a sense of satisfaction or it's, um, you know, potentially perceived as being nefarious and that you're trying to attract mm -hmm. business. Um, uh, Patagonia gets accused of that. Occasionally they have the campaign of don't buy this jacket. And then they're seeing, you know, that's their marketing campaign. Well, they're, they're genuine in saying, don't buy this jacket. And Hey, consider using our Warnware service. Um, and in addition to Warnware, you can send in your products like that. You're not wanting to, to resell that are torn and they'll fix it for free. And you just have to pay the return shipping, I think, um, something like that. So they're, they're definitely committed. Um, and part of then is, is it's how you message it. But the, um, 
now I've lost my train of thought. The, I, so I think part of it is like your example of the credit union. I, I know people who say, oh, I don't have kids. So why do I have to pay taxes to support schools? Well, we know that by educating people, you create more sustainable societies. You help reduce crime. You provide better quality of life. It benefits everybody. And so with the credit union going out and providing financial literacy, there's, um, let, me, let me share this really quickly because it fits, it fits in nicely if I can make it work. Um, I just need to find the slide here because the numbers are interesting. So um, through some research we were doing recently, you can see the financial situation for most Americans in the US. 80% of people are in one form or another living paycheck to paycheck and 70% having less than $500 in savings. So the, the example that's frequently used is you're driving to work, your car breaks down. It's your only mode of transportation. You don't live near public transportation lines or you have to take, I know um, the, the checker that I see at the grocery store most of the time, her son works out at um, the Amazon warehouse now and he has to make three bus connections to get there. It takes him like an hour and 15 minutes to commute to work versus if he was driving at 15. So if you have a, your car breaks down you can't get to work and you can't afford to fix your car because the bill is six or $700. Where does that leave you? It leaves you going into debt. It leaves you losing your job. And so by creating that financial literacy, sure, they might end up having a customer and increasing their profitability. But, but this situation of, um, of poverty and endemic poverty doesn't benefit anybody. Um, and so, and separate from that, finding ways to, to support the community, um, providing marketing to people. What you're doing is helping people understand the purpose of marketing, understanding how to do it ethically, like we talked about um, before. And there's a huge amount of value in that. There's, there's not value in my mind in deceiving people through marketing. Um, and there's a huge amount of value in everybody being honest and upfront and very transparent. And so, <clears throat> If you're able to demonstrate that value, then, you know, that, that's a huge benefit to everybody. And it's, a, it's not just a benefit to that individual. It's a benefit to the greater community. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, you hear this. I don't know. I, I tried Googling it, but I couldn't find it. I'm not as good a Googler as I once was. Um, but the, there's like numbers around how much more uh, well-off financially your kids will be just by opening up a bank account for them and with yeah. them when they're kids. Yep. So I'm totally hundred percent on board with that concept. It's just, you know, it's, it's, I want to make sure people can marry the idea of having a purpose with that purpose, also helping your bottom line and feel good about it. Right. Like I don't want yeah. somebody to come out and look at my model and say, Oh, Josh does all these workshops and he does a lot of them for free. And in a lot of cases, he's not even paid. And he does that as a way to drive business. I'm going to go do that too. And then they they're selling snake oil. You know what I mean? Like I want, I just want people to know that like, we're talking, you still have to live your purpose while yep. also serving your bottom line. I mean, I, that's my takeaway yeah. from what you're all saying. Yeah, well, and you need to, so yes, and a key part of it and tying it back to your marketing is you need to communicate what those values are. So is that you're doing those as you're engaging <clears throat> in activities that could be either perceived as 
is genuine or ingenuine, that people understand that it's leaning more towards the genuine side. Um, and, and so you do that through marketing, other communications, by just the way you do your business and showing that it's always ethical and, and customer community focused. Um, a quick example of, of doing it wrong is Coca-Cola having this commitment to, and, and I know this is a huge multinational company that's hard to relate to on a, a small business perspective, but they've come out and said, oh, we have these campaigns of, oh, we're trying to support the community and, and um, reduce plastics. But then at the World Economic Forum last year, the <clears throat> excuse me, the head of their sustainability program, who's also the head of marketing, um, was saying, oh, well, we're in no rush to eliminate plastic because that's what our consumers want. And we're not going to um, take that away from them because that's what they value or we're not going to do it quickly. So then it becomes like you look at their campaigns, and you're like, well, this is a, a bunch of BS because they're not actually living their values versus, you know, if you're talking about ethical marketing or the grain sheds telling the story, sure, their grain sheds attracting clients and customers because of the way they make their bread because there are no preservatives but people keep coming back to them um, in part because of the quality but also because of that community um, minded nature and what they've seen through the pandemic is they were really worried that they see this huge drop um, and, and partly because they shifted their model but their clients are so loyal um, that they only saw a small drop in their um, business, like 10% drop, which is really, uh, I think, astounding for that type of business. Um, so anyway, it, it, I'm kind of yeah. rambling, but but yes, Josh, there's always that risk. And I think then it comes down to is, is how do you communicate that? And how do you tell that story of, of being genuine? Well, and I think too, what we have to realize is, is being purpose-driven um, sets you up for resilience and this future of all of these hugely changing factors. Um, so it's really about, you know, how it can drive profitability in the face of our changing world. Um, yeah, we have a, a lot of uh, stats that Mark can probably speak to better on, you know, how purpose-driven businesses are growing so much faster than their conventional counterparts. And um, they're really setting themselves up for success by being able to tell their story. And, and it comes off, you know, you can tell when it's genuine, if, if they're, if they're really living their purpose, I think that's pretty obvious to consumers. Well, and what you said, Mark, about the grain shed, um, you know, I, I've done a workshop and I'll do it again uh, on how your business can survive during a crisis, specifically talking about COVID and all of that stuff. Yeah. And that's such a great local example that I will probably try to weave in to that uh, workshop is that, you know, when you create, when you, when you live through your purpose and, and your business thrives on purpose and, and, and you, and you market it clearly, people become so, they're so loyal to your purpose, mm -hmm. almost more so than your product or service that they're glad to support you when things get rough, right? Like it's, yeah. um, and I think right. that that's key. Okay. So I want to keep moving because I do have some questions on sort of, you know, I'm a, I'm like a, my brain understands the, the logistics of things. So not that the conversation hasn't been great, it's been amazing, but I want to provide people, I think, with like the, the how-tos. So my question that I came up with as I was thinking about this was, what if I've already been on this path of running a business? What if, what if I'm already an auto mechanic? What if I'm already, you know, a consultant? 
and I've never once thought about creating purpose or being purpose driven. What do I do now? Like I've, I've watched this or I've heard you two speak somewhere else. And now I'm, I'm like, I'm on board. I want, I, I, you've told me now how to find my purpose, but what if I've already been in business? Is it too late? Like what, what do I need to think about differently? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I feel like one of the things um, that is a great place in my mind to start is, is maybe you're already engaged in the community in some way. Um, maybe you already support community groups. Um, so I think just starting there and, um, and realizing how, you know, asking, maybe asking those groups if you, if you donate to them or volunteer for them in whatever way, like how you can provide more help or, or what, what is going to be the most meaningful way that you can contribute to them and then bringing that back in. And um, I just think that's, that's one of the easiest ways to start as a small business. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of really small and expensive things you can do to really make a make a pretty big statement and they don't have to be you can just you know start at any one place um but I was thinking about the example of um a consultancy right they probably don't have a large environmental footprint so you're thinking like okay how do I am I supposed to reduce energy even further like is that even impactful what does that mean right I, I want to have more of an environmental impact but I don't have a, a giant footprint as my business well, you can likely calculate your greenhouse gases pretty easily from your office space, whatever it may be. And you can offset those with carbon offsets and you can become a carbon neutral business fairly easy and relatively really inexpensively. And then you've made this statement, right? Like that this is important that we need to be reducing greenhouse gas emissions ac across the board that, you know, I'm. I'm making this move. Um, and so that's, that's, I guess, maybe jumping in a little bit further than your, your point, Josh, but there's lots of ways to enter into it. And I think um, no matter your business, like if you are um, engaging in, in these different conversations, then that's the best place to start. Well, yeah. uh, to, to piggyback on that, I think another idea would be to maybe even ask your customers, like if you've built a yeah. successful business, right you know, you could ask your loyal customers and I think of the auto mechanic a bunch, right? Like, so they could ask, why do you continue to come back to us? And, and they might find a lot of answers are, well, I can trust you, you know, you, you take good care of me, you don't upcharge all that stuff, but they might also find something along the lines of, well, I had that emergency and I couldn't get to work. Speaking to Mark's example earlier, I, I can't get to work. I, I rely on this and you helped me in a way that didn't put me into debt or didn't set me back and you got me to work. Yeah. So maybe their purpose is everybody deserves reliable transportation of one form or another as a means to providing for them and their families and their own household. And so your purpose is more about, you know, how do you help people, you know, get to their place of work or how do you help people go about their, their lives? Or maybe as an auto mechanic for every car you fix, you fix a bike, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> yeah. Or you fix a car from um, somebody who can't afford it. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have some network of that or um, you really take effort to make sure that the way you're and I think there are a lot of regulations around it so it's probably not that big of a deal but just think about the environmental impacts of changing oil and um, what kind of wiper fluid are you putting back into the car and what kind of 
environmental impacts or even just saying, walking customers through and saying, hey, this is what your problem was. Here's how you fix it the next time because you don't need to come into me. And then you maybe don't charge them because it's a, a small fix. But you know, those are the sorts of things. If I go in and they say, oh, well, I didn't charge you because we had an electrician come to my parents' house fixed the problem. It took him an hour. And, he's, and at the end, he said, oh, I'm not going to charge you because um, I thought I knew the problem when I first walked in and I didn't start with that. And it should have been a five minute fix. But um, instead, it took me an hour. That's my fault. Don't worry about it. And now I'm going to call that guy every time. Yeah. Put his name not, in the chat so that people yeah, know yeah, he tells yeah, who that is. Yeah. But there's one other quick example too, just to... Um, uh, use a different example is one of the live local sessions that Annie and I were doing. There was a woman who runs a house cleaning business and she was wanting to find ways to minimize her environmental impact. And, and part of the challenge she was finding is that customers. Um, so the products that she was using that had a minimal impact would take her employees longer to clean with. So an hour job might become an hour and 15, hour and a half. And so she was trying to think of, well, it doesn't, like if people aren't going to pay for it, then I don't want to carry the additional expense. Um, but she was committed to it. And so some of it then just becomes thinking through, well, how do I slowly move into that? And so um, one of the things she concluded is, how about if I just start having my people sit down with those customers and say, okay, right, here's what happens when we use these caustic cleaners. And if you're okay with that, fine, that's what we'll do. Um, and if you're, if you're not, here are the alternatives and, and it's, um, you know, it's going to cost you a little bit more. So anyway, I think there's always, there's, it's never too late. And like you were saying at the beginning, it doesn't have to be big. We can't individually solve every problem. So pick a problem. Um, and like Annie was saying, you know, if you're, if you're a service business, you work out of your home, just think of something really easy to start with. And then that'll give you opportunities to start taking on something else or like in your case, case, Dorothy, being able to maybe attract other clients or with the clients you have start addressing some of those issues with them and giving the, them those ideas. And so then it starts to be a multiplier effect. I definitely like that idea of easing into it. It's, it's great to have a mission and to do this thing but maybe also yeah. consider that, you know, you, you're going to have to baby step your way into living out your purpose yeah. because it may just not be, it just may not be viable to do it all in one big chunk. I, I'm all about giving permission to people, right? Like you have permission to be purpose-driven, but here's the path. And I like Mark, when you said it's, it's not a straight line, it's a river, uh, I think helps out a lot. Okay. So we've talked about it. Some of these words have come up. I really want to ask this question. Tell me the difference between being purpose-driven, being mission-driven, or being values-driven? Are they all synonymous? Like, wh what are we talking about or, you know, when we say those things? Yeah, I think um, one difference that comes to mind between mission-driven versus uh, values or purpose-driven is that with a mission, your mission could just be to sell as much of your brand or product as possible. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas maybe values or purpose-driven is for something greater than yourself and your, your business. 
Um, so I guess I would start start there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like, so I think like, I really like mod pizza's um, slogan. They, they say that we serve pizza so that we can serve people. It's just, it's short, it's sweet. I think um, they, their mission could be to sell as much pizza as possible, but it's, it's not, it's this, it's this bigger, it's this bigger mission that's kind of rooted in their values. Yeah. Yeah, and Grayston does something, says something simpler. Their mission is, um, uh, we don't employ people to make brownies, we make brownies to employ people. So they exist to create jobs. And coincidentally, they happen to, to make good brownies that they're able to sell a lot of. Um, yeah, I agree totally with Annie that <clears throat> your mission, like mission is whatever your mission is. Um, and it doesn't necessarily provide an indication of the, the nature of that mission. Um, I think you could also say that I would typically think of purpose and value-driven being the same. Though with purpose and value, the, at least in my mind, the generally accepted definition of those are usually positive. So um, you, know, you could be values-driven and your value is to cheat people, um, <laughs> right, and so then you're a values-driven company, um, but but typically values and purposes are you're doing something positive in the community, um, and so and then mission is like this is just what you are there to do, um, and in that case it could be you know, we employ people to make brownies, um, and Dorothy to your question, um, ideally yes, so if you're a purpose or values-driven company, then that should inform your mission. Your mission, I, I would say it works that way versus your mission shouldn't inform your values and your purpose. So I would, I, over the years have worked with a lot of businesses on helping them come up with a mission statement. And I think I've always, what I've been trying to do is help them define their purpose. Now their purpose, and, and, and to me, I think the difference would be, I always argue, and this comes from Simon Sinek and his TED talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action, which is from his book, Start With Why. But your mission needs to, oftentimes has very little to do with what your product or service is. And, and Grayson is a great example is, you know, we exist to provide jobs. That's their mission. We want to create jobs. So what they do, that becomes the rest of that mission statement. So being purpose-driven, I think, is like the PS to that. It's, it's the, the real core reason behind why they want to create jobs. And I think I'm, I would agree with Dorothy that it is. It's your values drive that. And Mark, you said that earlier when you were talking about Patagonia, when they, wanna, when they look at their values and, and they hire uh, dirtbags, they want people who've, you know, just because you wear a Patagonia jacket doesn't mean that you've used a Patagonia jacket. Right. And I, so I think what we can look at is your values will drive those things, but just because it's a value doesn't always mean it's going to make it into your mission statement or into your purpose. Yeah. It's, it's a guiding mm -hmm. principle, but it's not necessarily, you know, the same thing as a marketable, you know, mission statement or, or, you know, purpose statement, if there is such a thing. I would say yes. And in some cases uh, I might disagree in that like Patagonia, their mission is um, to save save our home planet. And so that's their purpose and their mission. Um, and so there is, um, 
which then is sort of contrary to what I was saying before is that there, you know, there is an overlap and maybe your purpose and your mission are the same. Um, and they can be like really intertwined. Um, and I guess maybe my thought is you should start like in developing your mission. I personally, I would start with what, what value do I want to add? Like what values do I have as an individual starting a company and what is the impact I want to make? And from there crafting your mission, which then kind of crystallizes that into a form that makes it easier for you to make decisions. And if they end up being the same thing, fine. Um, but I would start with what are, uh, and this is, there's no right or wrong way. Um, for sure. But personally, I would start with why, why is like Simon Sinek saying, why do I have a business in the first place? And what am I trying to accomplish? Um, and then from there, you can start to work towards your mission and how you actually accomplish, uh, accomplish that. Okay. So that leads me to this next question, which is, so you've done all this work. I mean, we've been on you know, talking for about 50, 50 minutes or so about this idea. And I think you could take away from this that being mission or, you know, purpose-driven is, is valuable. Uh, it's important. It doesn't, it, it, in a lot of cases, it'll help you thrive and become a successful business while also serving a greater purpose. So I think those are all really great takeaways. And I think we've given a lot of really good steps to do that. My next question is, once I've gone through all of that and I've done it, how do I maintain that purpose? And how do I stay purpose-driven over time? How does my company stay purpose-driven mm -hmm. over time? That's a great question, Josh. Annie, do you want to? Yeah, well, my first thought was just um, about how naturally resourceful I, I, I think a lot of small business owners are. You have to be, you know, if you're a small business. Um, and that really fits into sort of the purpose-driven idea. Um, and I think... I think like we've been talking about Warnland Patagonia a lot. And I think it's a really interesting example of them finding another outlet for profit, right? Like they are making money on that jacket twice when they've now resold it on their site. That's genius. And it's also reducing waste. And now North Face does it, REI does it. All of the big companies do this because it's, it's just smart. And, and that's like, that's just a, a good example of of realizing that your used gear from your company doesn't have to um like you can bring that back in and realize the profit from it that's just a, like an innovation that i think is is just on this huge upward trend and i don't know it's just like a really simple example of the grain shed is is with their you know, day old bread, they'll make croutons and then sell those. And they're, and they, they laugh that people buy them, but they're right by the checkout. And I'm like, yeah, I'll buy some croutons. Those look good. And they just, they just kind of laugh like behind the scenes, like this is just our day old bread. We toasted it. You know, it's just like this example of being resourceful and continuing to just take advantage of the resources you have and um, I think it fits under the small business ethic pretty well already. Um, I want to yeah. jump in on that, Mark, before I let you jump in with your thoughts on that. And I, I like this idea. You can maintain your commitment to being purpose-driven by exploring new revenue streams that support 
that mission. So, you know, Patagonia wants to take care of the planet. They want to, you know, they, and a great way to do that would be to recycle and repurpose old gear. It just so happens to also create a new revenue stream for them. So it wasn't just about finding a revenue stream and then hoping it matches their purpose. It was about how do we explore purpose through, Mm -hmm. you know, these other models. So I think that's a good way to maintain that commitment to that purpose is, you know, how do I add maybe new ways of, of making money, but also being very, very purpose driven, you know, and and it might open doors of opportunity that you didn't know existed. So Mark, I'll let you chime in on that note. Yeah. So just a quick comment on that. I, I mean, part of it is, in that case, and, and then just extrapolate that to all other situations, is that they identified a problem. The problem was there's a lot of uh, clothing-related waste, and how do we contribute to solving that problem? And that was their answer, and then they become a model um, for that. Um, so I think, so the, a big part of sustaining the change, Annie is correct, is you think a, a way to do it is to identify problems and find ways then to to make that part of what you're selling um, and to create that kind of mindset and and the grain shed does it as well. And, you know, I think part of the reason they laugh and is just that it was such a simple idea, not that people are like, oh, I can't believe anybody would buy our croutons. It's more of like, oh, this is such a simple thing and and such a simple way and and we're adding this value. and, and it does become a revenue stream. But I, I think on a kind of a different end of that, it has to be, in order to sustain this in the long term, it has to be part of your culture. So I've seen a lot of and, and read a lot of case studies where most change initiatives, it's like only 20% of change initiatives in companies succeed. And it's because it's always thought of as this secondary consideration um, instead of companies finding ways to embed it in the culture. So um, like with, with Boots, uh, Allison hires people who are thinking the way that she does. And by doing that, then she's helping ensure that, that her, her focus on community, uh, being community-minded um, and purpose-driven will continue because that's the culture that she has created. It's not just that we're going to um, do this only in hiring. She's extended that all the way through what she does. So you know, part of that comes with the mission um, and saying, like, here's, here's what we're trying to accomplish. Here's who we're trying to benefit. And then every decision you make has to come back to that. And that's ideally, regardless of whether you're purpose-driven or not, that's, that's what you should be doing as, as a business is, if you want to achieve your mission, those should be the, the always be front and center of when you're making a decision. And if your decision doesn't help you accomplish that mission, you shouldn't do it, or you should change your solution to make sure it aligns with that. So if you've embedded those, your purpose and your values in that way, then when I go to make a decision like the grain shed does, you're like, okay, well, what do I do with this bread? I'm just gonna throw it away. Well, it doesn't align with your mission. So, all right, now how do I, how do I find a better use for that? Um, and if you're not building it into your culture, then it's not, you're not going to sustain it, is what I would argue. Then it's always going to be the secondary thought. And as soon as um, you run into problems, 
financial or otherwise, you're going to throw those away. And so the grain shed in the last eight months could have said, well, we need to um, maintain our financial viability. So we're just going to start buying wholesale flour and we're going to stop spending more on land race grains. We're going to stop grinding it ourselves. Um, and they could have just abandoned that, but that's part of who they are. And so they stuck with it and they were, my guess is that they would um, go down with ship uh, before they would start throwing those values overboard, you know, trying to, to stay afloat. And, and so anyway, I, that's just trying to demonstrate that if, if it's not part of your culture, then you're not going to sustain it. I want to share my screen real quick, Mark, if you don't mind, because I actually happen to have two examples of this that go into what you are talking about. And I think this also comes to sort of a marketing part. So this is the Moscow Food Co-op down in Moscow, Idaho. And if you look there on that back wall, this is there, you know, where you can eat. And this is my favorite place to go when I'm down there. And I look for reasons to go down there just so I can go to the co-op. But they have this, it says the Moscow Food Co-op is committed to, I know it's a little hard to read. And they, they dig into a couple of making fresh seasoned food from scratch, but then using local sustainable and organic ingredients, and then being the link between local producers and customers, <clears throat> and then bringing people together to act as a community hub, and then practicing sustainable sustainability to lessen our environmental, like they, this is, could be a value statement but that also thrive, that could be their mission that they thrive on. Yeah. But the most important thing is that they're putting it out front and center where everyone can see it and they're making sure people understand it. So part of being purpose-driven is you do, I mean, you do have to communicate your purpose. And as a marketing professional, I think you should be okay with that and you should feel good about that. It doesn't, it's not icky to tell people, I know it's like, oh, we're patting ourselves on the back, but People aren't going to let know unless unless they know. There's that old saying in like marriage: you didn't do it unless you got caught doing it, right? Um, not that that's any way to run your marriage. So um, I want to show one more, um, and that's this is from Lighthouse out of Sandpoint, and what they have here is they have their priorities and then their mission. And while there's you would really have a hard time maybe finding something as um, environmentally impactful, uh, but they do. They, they are 100% employee owned. And it says they want to engage, develop, and empower their employee owners, positive, uh, positioning for growth, succession, and sustained success. And I think that in and of itself goes to those other examples where we've talked about your, your employee and hiring practices can be your purpose. Now, I would say they have a huge argument to be made on their environmental impact. They don't necessarily talk about that here, and I'm not sure if they are even aware of it, but I think just knowing that they're employee owned and that I think is really great. And I know people, my brother lives in Sandpoint and they talk about, you know, the people who work for them are incredibly happy and satisfied people. Yeah. Um, but this is, this is in the CEO. I don't know if he's a CEO. I don't know what you call it when you're employee owned, but the head of the company, this is in his office. Nice. Um, so I think that those are, you know, take your purpose and you got to live it. And I, I guess I'm doing a good enough job, Mark, where even, you know, it and, yeah. uh, and I want to also encourage people, there is lots of room for your own personal values. I, I put my faith front and center, like Mark said, and then I have sat across the table from atheists, from members of the LGBTQ community, people who like adamantly and vocally disagree with mm -hmm. some of my values, but I, because of the way I present them and live them, mm -hmm. it's a safe space. 
And I think that's the other thing is there's so much room for everybody to be value driven and purpose driven as long as you're you're making it a safe thing. It mm-hmm. I'm not beating anyone over the head with it. So I right. do I want you to talk about that. Like this purpose driven thing can sometimes come across as like this, you know, crazy liberal left thing. And it and it's very nonpartisan, right? When you think about it. So talk about your experiences with that. Yeah, I just thank you for bringing this up. <laughs> First of all, for bringing up co-op ownership as a model. Um, yeah, we Mark and I talked about kind of bringing this up today, um, just to 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 think about kind of you know wealth redistribution and empowering people and all of those things. Um, so yeah, I think that's a very important um, ownership structure. And then yeah, I just really uh, thank you for for kind of calling that out. Um, it's really highly bipartisan. I think, um, I think your messaging as a company can have a lot um, to, to um, impact this space as well. And, you know, I think word choice is huge and um, more and more companies, you know, speaking out about their values, I think will help this. I think industry is a really important um, piece of this equation of, thinking about how workers can be treated better, communities can be stronger, um, the places where we live can be healthier, right? I mean, it's all, it really is, again, that self-serving thing, right? We, we talk about environmental impact because it also impacts our health. Um, so I think, I think this is why I, I've chosen to, you know, be in the consulting space, in the industry space, because I appreciate the power that it has and I, and I'm compelled by this, this mode of change, changing the world, I guess. Um, but yeah, Mark, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and now I've, I've like running through all this stuff in my head. I've kind of forgotten your specific question, Josh, but I think it's about, um, yeah, it doesn't have to be alienating. So I think where it'll backfire is if if you're using it as a form of judgment or to be exclusive. So where I see it, um, uh, so I love Chick-fil-A in terms of when I was a, a, a meat eater, I'm now a vegetarian. So before I was a vegetarian, Chick-fil-A was the best. Um, and so when I would travel to cities that had Chick-fil-A, like that was high on my list of, of things to get once I was introduced to it. And then, you know, as I learned more about their company, and this is not, again, a judgment for any, now that we have a Chick-fil-A in Spokane, um, it's like, oh, maybe I should go eat meat again. But, um, and, and so I definitely understand why people want to go there. But at the same time for me, I don't necessarily want to um, support Chick-fil-A because I feel like the ownership is acts in like some of their beliefs and the values that they projected and communicated, which doesn't represent all of the people who work there, right? It's this thin slice of the executive layer have, have shared beliefs that in my mind seem exclusive where they're trying to discriminate against a group. Um, And so I guess, Maybe that's a bad example, but I guess to bring it back is if you're doing it in a way that's just saying, here are my values, let me explain why they're important to me. And like, we're not making a judgment on you because you don't do this. 
then I think you're going to be successful and where you start to like walk the a fine line and, and where you can run into trouble is where you're saying, well, I don't want you to use this if you don't think this way. And I think, Mark, I think that's a fair example. I mean, if you look at obviously part of their mission and their purpose appeals to people. I mean, I live, it's, it's two minutes from my house and it, there's never not been a line all the way up the hill of division since it opened. And so I think there's this, there's a definitely a group of people who A, value their pro product and think yeah. it's great, but also B, value their purpose in, an, in as much as they're a Christian owned or they claim to be a Christian owned company and a faith-based company. But it is also done through an, an exclusion model, right? And, and they have made their policy, their employee policy, their, their HR policy, they've made it very publicly known and you could throw Hobby Lobby in that group yeah. as well. And I think that that is where it can sour. And I don't, and, and this is coming from a Christ fault, like that I, I share a lot of their faith values mm -hmm. um, seemingly. Um, and, and so I, I can still look at it critically and go, I, I don't think that, I think there's a good way to do that and it comes down to being genuine and if you really believe some of your values you've got to live them and you've got to create you know there, there's this concept that came out during the election that um you know the democrats in order to win had to create a bigger tent and i think we can take that that concept and go we have to be our purpose has to be there's got to be room for everyone now it doesn't mean everybody yeah. agrees with it right but i think there's something to be right. said that it, it definitely doesn't have to be you know, you can't exclude folks with it, right? And yeah. I think that's the, the takeaway. Yeah, and I think some of it is why do you need a tent in the first place? <laughs> because to me, having a tent means that you're somehow only letting certain people into it. Right. Um, <laughs> which is just something I thought about. But, but yeah, it's like, do it in a way that it can appeal to anyone. And if it doesn't like resonate directly, it's not necessarily turning them off or putting them into some other other group right it's um, not i i don't yeah. i don't value your purpose not because it excluded me i just don't agree with you know i just yeah. don't it's just not it's not a shared value right, right? shared value right and and i think an, a good example of that especially early in their in their company existence was apple right apple's mission was to challenge the status quo and to think differently and so when people would stand in line forever and ever and, and for hours to get a product, it was because they shared that value. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think that that's a way to look at, you know, if you create a mission and, and a purpose, you're looking for people to share in that as opposed to you're looking to, for people to exclude people from it. What yeah. you're saying is this is the journey we're on. You can join us or, or, or not. And it, it's yeah, no big that's deal. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings up another question that I wanted to ask about this. So I, I think it's great. I think there's a lot of people who have a, a really great purpose and then they're just looking for a product or service to match it. Right. I think Grange has a good example of that. Right. Like not that they didn't want to make bread or, 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 or make beer. I just think that they're a really good example of a purpose perfectly aligning with a product or service. So my question is, what if I have a, an amazing purpose? but a not so amazing product or service. What are the steps, like, what do I need to be doing in that case if I fall into that? Do you have an, do you have an example? <laughs> I, I can't Because I'm an just thinking if you don't being... have an amazing product or service, then like that's a whole different problem. 
Right. That's it is right. But yeah. I think that there's some people out there. I mean, I, I and I, I don't want to give examples. I don't even know that I have a good example, but we know we could all probably think of a person that's super passionate, who has a, a really defined purpose, but has either no, no product or no service or no, no deliverable that they're offering. And I'm just wondering if you've, if you've helped any people in that case or worked with anybody where you help them take a purpose and match it to a product or service. Um, I have not. Okay. Um, I know the answer if you, yeah. I'm just kidding. I don't know that I know the answer. Yeah. Well, no, no, I think, I mean, I think that's fair. I, th I think, so one of the things you can do is if you have, is there, if you're in a market where there's a lot of um, competition. Um, and so, I mean, we, we keep using, like, so let's use Boots. So Boots is, um, you know, Boots could be, they're, they're vegan. Um, and then they have this community minded spirit. So part of uh, Allison's mission was I wanna make vegan pastries mm. and I wanna do that really well. Um, and so you sh she's then able to differentiate that way. But if you're just a pastry store um, getting started, uh, uh, you know, how do you differentiate between all the others that maybe have some kind of you know, different, uh, what do you want to say? A, a different differentiator, I guess, um, to be redundant is, I mean, some of it can just be like, I have an average product. Um, it's not different from anything else. So how do I make that appear to be different? Oh. And so then that could be like, I'm going to think about what my values really are and use my product to, um, support those values or to make a difference. And so then that can in itself become the differentiator that separates you from other companies. So I don't know if, like, I, I, I think it would be hard for me to say, oh, like what's your value? And then how do we come up with a product or service? Um, that seems more challenging to me, but like if you take it the other way of how do you kind of make an average product seem better that's how I might respond to that. So you said it earlier and that's why I said I knew the answer and it wasn't because I'm like this genius. It's just that you've, you've kind of said it already, which is look for problems that you can solve. And Patagonia yeah. did this and added another revenue stream. Um, and Annie, I definitely want to let you chime in, but Mark, you're talking about something really specific. So I have this silicone wedding band and I, and the first one I had was from a company and I don't want to mention that company, but I wanted to get a replacement one. And because I lost my first one and my oldest son wanted to get me one for my birthday and he didn't know which one he, he should get me. And so he asked me, he said, you just send me which one you, you like. And as I got into looking at this company that I had originally gotten it from, their, their core values seemed to be around creating products that were meant for people who lead active outdoorsy lifestyles. But as I dug in and I started looking at their, pro their actual offerings, they were offering some products because they can make these pretty custom that aligned with like causes and organizations that I, I don't like and were supporting initiatives that I don't like. And so I found myself going, okay, now, and this is, I mean, you can buy these, you can buy like a 15 pack for $4. These are not expensive <laughs> things, but I wanted to support an organization that also understands that this is a pretty, this could be considered a wasteful product. Yep and and could be made in a, a, a wasteful way so i think if if i were looking to maybe jump out there and i didn't have a product or service the first thing i'm looking is what problem do i solve
Yes. And, and from there maybe, or if my product or service isn't all that amazing, obviously starting to look at your, your processes and refining those, but then also asking that core question, what problems are we solving here and how do we do a better job of solving that problem? Yep. Okay. Annie, I want to hear from you on this. If you had any thoughts you wanted to throw out there. Yes, you could tell I do. Um, <laughs> I, one thing that we haven't talked about, I don't think we haven't really touched on in super in a lot of depth yet is, is local purchasing. And, um, and I think that is a huge element, like the collaboration that is possible um, in your own city, I think can elevate your brand. And, you know, one example is um, to go back to the, the green shed, they um, collaborate with three other breweries um, to can their beer. Um, so they use the same facilities, use the same canner, it saves them a lot of money that sort of thing, they all work together and it just makes each one of those brands better and allows them to can their beer and then have another product, right? Like it's just this whole magnifying effect for their business um, and they are just always collaborating. I think that's how you um, realize what the needs are in your community and, um, and you can kind of turn that competition into a positive thing, um, into that, that collaboration. And I think too, it goes back to, you know, how do you, how do you unite people? How do you choose your rhetoric that's not going to alienate people? And I just think about if I was starting a business and you know I was really values driven and I didn't have a product, I might I might go talk to my grandfather. He's on the probably the complete political opposite of me. And but if I sit down and we start talking about things, we agree on so much. Like it's incredible if I can just take the emotion out of my words and think about what I'm saying, right? And and then and then he's a resource for me. Um, and has a totally different perspective. So I think it's like that local purchasing and we have, we were planning on kind of going into like the economics of it and how much money truly stays in your own community when you purchase local. And, and I think it all, all comes back to benefit your own business. Um, but there's, there's a lot going on in Spokane and Seattle and um, yeah, the, the local purchasing is huge, especially as we approach the holidays. <laughs> totally. So as we wind down, we've got just a, you know, about nine, nine minutes or so left. I want to, first off, Emily jumped in the conversation uh, that we were having about uh, your purpose and, and how you're living it out. And she said, also, it seems like every startup out there has a buy one, give one model, but did the market really need another shoe? And I think that's a really great example. And I don't want to name names, but there are some brands out there. And if you do your research, their give one wasn't really benefiting the communities in the way you know, it was they were solving or they were they were addressing a cause, not the effect, right? A symptom, not the 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 cause. So I think the other thing about living purpose driven is to make sure that you're going after symptomatic problems, not the symptoms themselves, right? So what's really yeah. causing a, an issue, not not just, you know, yeah. how do I support the symptom of the issue? And making sure you're not creating a different problem because I th I think if we're thinking about the same company, one thing that was happening is they were undermining local um, producers, like small businesses who are producing the same product. And all of a sudden they were having the exact um, opposite effect of what they wanted. So maybe people were getting shoes, but now you're putting people out of business as a result. So um, yeah, right, you like have to be really thoughtful about what problem you're solving and how you're solving it, and then make sure you measure it. And, act, and so what, what they ended up doing was they're like, oh, we've created a, and we've created more of a problem than we've solved. So we need to change the way we're doing this um, and still be a values-driven company, but we need to deliver that value in a different way.
Right. It'd be like if the grain shed was walking that bread across the street and then realized that in doing so, they were also putting some other business out of business by doing yeah. that. Right. Like right. that no exactly. longer serves its purpose. Yeah. Nope. Exactly um, right. And then, so I, what, what I'd like to do is just take the last few minutes to hear from you two, but I do want to point out that my relationship with Mark and Kara and now Annie has led to us in a couple of things, rethinking two big things. One, how we're spending our money this holiday season and where we're spending it. Um, and I'll give you an example. And this isn't to pat myself on the back. I just think that sometimes we get so lost in the weeds, it's hard to see the low. So Mark, one of the things I, I ask you and Kara a lot is, well, I need to buy product X and I don't know where to get product X at anywhere but a big retailer. Like how do I... So one good example is like we were going to buy a gift for one of our kids that we thought we could only get at like Home Depot or Lowe's. But then when you do your homework, you find that ACEs are all locally owned and operated hardware stores. And in a lot of cases offer the same products. And we actually found the, the same thing competitively priced um, and supporting local. So I, I just wanna thank you for that impact that you've made on us as we rethink how our dollars are spent and how, what that impact is on the community. But then one of the other things I've seen, and, and Chick-fil-A is such a, it's so easy to pick on them, but one of the, the good things I've seen come out of this is how many people are taking the social media to promote all the local chicken sandwiches you can get. So yeah. if you want yeah. a chicken sandwich and you don't want to wait for Chick-fil-A, there's so many good options out there. And just, you know, keep in mind that, you know, COVID has been really good to some businesses and fast food is an industry that has seen a 300% increase in profit um, since the start of COVID. And if we all just took, instead of buying one meal at a fast food, if we just took the opportunity to buy one meal locally, yeah. you, you know, you can support that local economy. And I think um, being mission driven certainly buffers you like Grain Shed has that really nice fan buffer because they've built such a, a, a great group of people that are fans and support mm -hmm. them. Um, so, but both those things, my wife and I are now thinking about more and a lot of it has to do with our relationship with measurement and yeah. all the great folks involved. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, as we you. wind down the last five minutes, anything you want to leave us with when it comes to being purpose-driven and how to do that and, you know, that triple, triple bottom line idea? Yeah, I just maybe want to um, add on to what you're saying and, and add a couple of points because I, I think maybe that's more important uh, at this moment in time than, than, <laughs> than the, the other things we've been talking about. But so one, one way you can um, so Spokane Independent Metro Business Alliance has created uh, or expanded on their Live Local campaign. And so if you go to spokaneindependent.org, I think is their website, they have um, this now directory of small businesses. Um, and I think it's over 200 small businesses in the Spokane area. And you can go and look for different products, um, look for women uh, and minority owned businesses and other locally owned businesses to um, frequent them. Oh yeah, perfect. Thanks, Annie. Um, and and so there's analysis that's been done that says when you buy local, nearly 50 times more money is retained in your economy than when you buy um, online. And so when you buy from a local uh, business, it's, it's about 46 or 47 cents out of every dollar you spend stays in the local economy versus when you buy online, only one cent out of every dollar you spend stays in the local economy. Um, and only then if the delivery driver lives in your uh, community. So if we have a, a delivery driver who lives in um, uh, Ritzville, which actually happens, 
um, they're commuting an hour each way to, to drive a UPS truck, that one dollar out of every hundred is leaving Spokane and going to Ritzville. Um, and that emphasizes like there's this um, beneficial loop of the more money you have in your economy, the more it benefits everybody. So the more we retain locally benefits, not just the business owner, but all of the employees and all the other business owners, um, because it increases how much money continues to move around and how fast it moves around in our own economy. So it's super important that we do what Josh is talking about. It's not just living your values as a business. It's living your values as an individual and voting with your wallet every day. So every time you go to spend money, you're voting for something. You're either voting for local businesses, you're voting for online stores, uh, you're voting for big box stores. And it's really important to think about that. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't buy online from Amazon. Uh, because sometimes this is the only place to find what you want. Um, uh, uh, and if you're willing to take that extra step and the extra time, you're actually doing more good uh, for the Spokane community than, than you are um, if you don't take the extra time. Yeah, so, and I think, anyway. uh, Mark, and I also, I, this is something that you and Kara really challenged us with early on was this idea of buying local. And so one of the next questions that I asked, and I'm sure people are thinking this is, you know, is there a difference between being like a franchise that's locally owned versus because, you know, like McDonald's are franchises and they're locally owned a lot of cases um, and locally operated um, is is. And now while going to the local local fast food joint like Steer Inn or Dick's downtown is probably yeah. the better option. Um, should I feel OK about supporting franchises, knowing that they're still not in that same boat as big box or buying online? Yes. Yeah, so. Definitely, I would say locally owned franchises are probably the next next tier if you're not going to do local. Um, I mean, and then when you're looking at national chains like Starbucks, they pay their employees well, they have educational mm -hmm. programs. So some of it is just saying, all right, well, Starbucks is convenient. It's what I need right now at this moment in time, or I just like their coffee. It's not necessarily that it's bad. Um, you're still buying from somebody who's employing somebody else. It's just kind of considering where can you have the maximum impact and, and how do you want to use um, those resources? So it's not, again, meant to demonize anybody. We all need to do what's right for us. And as you think about where you spend your money, it does make a difference um, and it does have an impact. And so it's, it's what, what I advocate for and what we've talked about, Josh, is it's just starting to think about it. Um, and then over time that changes your behavior and, and you don't have to do everything locally, um, but just think about it before you do it. On that note, we're right at time, but Annie, I want to give you a chance to end with your parting thoughts. Do you have any last uh, nuggets of wisdom you'd like to leave us with anything that maybe we didn't touch on that you wanted to get to today? Oh, not necessarily. I think just, you know, whatever, whatever inspires you is, is what is, makes this work fun right so i think i think just have fun with it have fun with being purpose driven <laughs> yeah. thanks for having us on today it's awesome. yeah thanks so much Josh. yeah so great. 
Thank you so much for joining us. I do want to point out our Facebook crowd was really solid today. So while not too many people joined us through Zoom, it seems like Facebook was the place where everyone was joining us. And maybe because they don't have to worry about turning on a camera and they can just join us wherever. Uh, I do know a couple of the people who are on are now in a work from home situation since the second round of you know, you know, shutdowns and, and restrictions have been in place. So I'm sure that it's a comfy morning for those folks, which I uh, am jealous of. I was yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm wearing pants today, so I'm fully dressed. So I did have nice. to get up and get going for this. Cause I knew my camera was going to be on. Uh, but I thank no you both. Today. I, was a little, I do a little bit. So I okay. told you this when Sorry. we talked the last time. So, uh, but that was a different group. I I'm just wearing my shirts in order now. Cause if I don't, I'll that's just right. ignore some of them and I need to make sure I'm using yeah, all you want to make clothes. sure they're all loved. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> I don't want any shirts to feel left out. And some of them require a tie. Uh, so thank you both for joining us. Uh, thank you, Dorothy and all those who joined on Facebook. Uh, I will be ending the call now, but I would love it if you two stayed on and, yeah. and chatted just a minute offline. Perfect. Great All right. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm.